Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. What is up, my friend? Welcome back to the Speaker Lab Podcast. My name is Grant Baldwin. Good to have you here with us today. Here we are on episode 45. 45. Today, we got a great guest for you today. We do a lot of uh, listener Q&A. We do some teaching from me from time to time, but uh, we also do some interviews with other speakers, people in the industry, and today is a great one. It's a funny one. It's an entertaining one. I think you're going to learn a lot. You're going to get a lot from today's guest. I'm going to tell you about him in just a second, but before we do, let me quickly remind you, we're doing a lot of free live trainings right now. So we would love to have you register and join us for one of our upcoming workshops. These are totally free, totally online, and we are basically teaching you everything that you need to know on how to get started as a speaker. So if you want to know how much to charge, if you want to know what you should be speaking about, if you want to know how to find gigs, if you want to know how to contact decision makers, if you want to know how to set up your website and your demo video, we're going to be doing these free online trainings that you can register for by going to freespeakerworkshop.com. That is all one word put together, freespeakerworkshop.com. Definitely check that out, my friends. You can register for the next live workshop that we are doing. It's going to be a lot of fun. Don't want you to miss out on that. Again, that is free speakerworkshop.com. All right, let's get into uh, today's conversation, today's chit chat with my buddy, Ron Tite. Ron is a, uh, a speaker up in Canada. He is a, a comedian, does a lot with comedy, uses a lot of humor in his presentations. So we t- today we talk about uh, the use of humor, how he can use humor in presentations, what makes things funny, even if you don't think you're funny. We also touch a little bit on bureaus. He just went exclusive with a bureau up in Canada. So we talk about that decision and kind of how he arrived there and, and uh, what it's like to work with a bureau. So in fact, if you want to go back and listen to the episode where we talked all about working with speaker bureaus, you can uh, check that out back on episode 24. Episode 24, where we talk with my buddy Sean Hanks, who is the president of the Premier Speakers Bureau here in Nashville. So again, that is episode 24. All right, let's get into today's conversation, today's chit chat with uh, my buddy Ron Tite. Again, if you are brand new to comedy, you want to use more humor, you want to spice up and punch up your talks with humor, today's episode is is for you. So here we go. Enjoy. What's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab. Today I'm joined by my buddy Ron Tite, who is a a phenomenal speaker, a phenomenal dude, and a hilarious speaker. No pressure at all, Ron. This guy (laughs) is the funniest guy you will ever hear. We were uh, talking about that the other day, about how you never want to introduce a speaker and set the bar too high. You will never hear someone that's as funny as this guy. That's the type of thing you don't want to hear. So I'm just, I'm, uh, I'm basically throwing Ron under the bus before we even start. So how you doing, man? Cut, cut, cut to the end of the podcast and all the listeners are going, uh, wasn't that funny? I had a little fun fact for you, true story. I had a, um, uh, I interviewed a comedian on a previous podcast and people could go find it if they needed to, but I won't name names. 
and going into it, I was like, this, this is going to be good. And he just wasn't, he wasn't that funny. It wasn't super <laughs> entertaining. So it was a little, a little disappointing, but nonetheless, uh, the dude, insight there is off the stage. Comedians are just the most boring and bitter people on the planet. I find that to be really, really true. Like I, I'm on stage. I think I'm pretty funny, but off stage, I'm like, I'm kind of socially awkward and I just don't want to <laughs> be around people. And so I think that, I think most, uh, most of us, we can be fairly introverted, but all right, well, let's do this. First of all, uh, give us kind of a snapshot of your business and and kind of how speaking fits into it. Because you actually you got your hand in, in several different things. You're one of the the busier dudes in speaking, but also just in, in show business in general. So, uh, give us an overview of what your business is like. Sure. Um, well, uh, my name is Ron Tight. I like long walks on beaches, mm. and I'm this little background music here. Yeah, yeah. Some Jack Handy appropriate tinkling of the ivories. So, one, I'm founder and CEO of the Tight Group, and we're a content marketing agency based in Toronto, Canada. And I'm also a speaker. I did, did you know, typically do between 50 and 60 uh, speeches a year. And I host a comedy show called Monkey Toast. And, you know, I pop up on TV as kind of an expert. I hate the term expert, but that's what they always say. Here's our marketing expert. And uh, there is a show that's in development that we shot a pilot for, a new Mark Burnett uh, reality business show called Dream Funded, which was CTV in Canada and Fox in the U.S. And yeah, I mean, you know, what's interesting for me is how the speaking fits into it. When I started the agency, speaking funded the agency for the first, you know, year, year and a half because I was speaking and wanting to start, you know, kind of driving client revenue on the on the agency side. And, and now it's evolved to this great model where speaking is such a, a wonderful biz dev tool for the agency. And I don't, it's not like I go out and I don't actually even really speak on content marketing that often. I, I mean, it's all kind of baked in there, but I speak on something called the expression economy usually. And, you know, the leads that I get from speaking that drive directly in, into the agency is really interesting. It's something that not a lot of people talk about in the speaking world. That when you have a platform like that, it is an incredible new business tool. And it's one that pays. Right, right. You know, right. Uh, so it's biz dev that pays. It's phenomenal. You know, and so I'm kind of balancing that, you know, being on the road and kind of being the face of the agency while having an amazing team of people who can really manage the day to day for our, our clients. Now, if I remember right, were you doing the agency before you really got into speaking? Because you haven't been doing speaking for, like full time that long, have you? No, I. I mean, that was one of the things I saw. Right, I was uh, I was executive creative director at, at a large multinational agency, and as things started to pick up on the speaking side, one of the things I thought of was, why don't I just do this? <laughs> you know, like, right. But this, what, I don't have to manage anybody. It's you know, you know what you're going to make every single gig, and so as the the bookings kind of increased, I thought, hmm. I think I need greater control over the, my broader career and how speaking fits into all this. And if there is biz dev, I want to own the thing that it's driving leads towards. I don't want to drive those leads towards a, a holding company in Paris. So I get a little bit greedy with it. But So I started speaking, I don't know how long ago, five, six years ago, I guess, prior to that I was kind of doing a lot of comedy. So I, I, I more I kind of transitioned into speaking. It's not something that I started cold. 
So uh, we're going to talk a little bit more on the uh, comedy side of it and how to use comedy, how to develop comedy, how to make it part of anybody's speech, whether you think you're, you're funny or not. So we'll, we'll get to that in a bit. And so what what were some of those first type of gigs that you were doing? How did you get those gigs? How did that the speaking flywheel start? You know, it's really interesting. There, there was I was doing corporate comedy, so I was I would go in, I would you know sit into a, an offsite of some sort. I'd sit in for the day, I'd take notes, and then I'd write a customized set at nighttime. I'd perform a customized set that night. It was it does not scale well, you know, because you're just you're using that material and then you can never use it again. And and I saw these, you know, I kept seeing these speakers who were making three times what I was making. And who were doing the exact same speech over and over and over again. Right, right. right. And I thought, I got to do that. That's what I got to do. Right. And so what I started to do is I just started to bring in little bits of content into the comedy. And I would kind of extend the comedy into this kind of strategically relevant space and try to make points. And at first, people were like, what? What are you doing? You're a comedian. What do you know about marketing? We didn't hire you to do that. Right. And so there was this weird, they defined me in one way. And so I decided like there was a hard stop where I started transitioning to, okay, you know what? I'm not a comedian anymore. Do not sell me as a comedian. I'm a speaker. And it all came from an event company who had worked with me on the comedy side. And I said, I really want to do more of this. And so they gave me the first opportunity, a great company called Livewire Communications. And they said, well, we have this event coming up and we, we're looking for a speaker do you think you could do something? And I was like, yeah, you know, give me that opportunity. Right. And, you know, it went really, really well and forced me to kind of create this base of content that I then started spinning out into other things. And like comedy, in some ways, once you've done speaking once, you're a speaker. Right. Someone sees you and then they go, oh, I saw you do that thing. You're, you're obviously a speaker. Can you do another gig? And then it just started organically growing from there. One of the things I like that you said there is uh, is oftentimes the market sees you and how you kind of define yourself and how you position yourself. And so I've had a lot of comedians who would reach out to me and say, hey, I do comedy. I've done a lot in comedy. You know, do you think that that would translate well into speaking? And could I, you know, could I make as much? <laughs> yes. In fact, you could make a significant higher multiple of what you're making going to a comedy club by actually going presenting yourself as a speaker because there's just kind of this different perceived value there. So so it sounds like a lot of the booking that you were doing early on was through kind of this third-party event organization. Is that right? Yeah, there were a number of event companies who would bring me in to add kind of a comedic perspective. But you're paying on with the compensation angle. I mean, my speaking fee now is five times what I was made as a comedian. Right, right. And, and that was significantly more than what a traditional what a comedian would make in a club. Right. Again, we're going to get into the comedy here in just a second. But one of the interesting things, too, I think you've done in your business is uh, recently you've gone exclusive with a bureau. And we actually did a, uh, an interview and did a full episode on a, a bureau recently. And we'll link that up in the, the show notes for people that want to learn more about bureaus. But I'm curious for you, uh, for people that may be further along in their speaking career, how did you make the decision to go, go exclusive with a bureau? And maybe give us a quick snapshot of what being exclusive with a bureau even means. Yeah, sure. I, when I started you know, getting more speaking gigs, a bureau reached out to me and they said, how come we're always losing to you? How, like, how come people are booking you and not booking our speakers? What, why aren't we representing you? And I said, well, I'd be more than happy to talk about that arrangement. And so we did. We had that, but I was represented by a bunch of different bureaus. And then 
you know, the reason, well, one, I guess what exclusive means is that any gig that comes to me, and it doesn't matter if, if somebody calls the bureau or if somebody calls me directly, that I give it to the bureau. So they represent me and they take a percentage of, of the fees. And so if somebody calls me directly, I don't secretly go away and squirrel that money away and say, don't tell the bureau, I'll just do this direct. I give everything to them. Right. And why that's great for me, and there are two sides to whether you go with the bureau, whether you go exclusive or not, I did two completely valid perspectives. For me, why it really works is it simplifies everything. Mm-hmm. I love the bureau that I'm with. They're phenomenal, wonderful people. I really enjoy doing business with them. But they add a layer of simplicity to what I do because I do so many other things. So I can just forward the email and go, speak to them. Right. They're going to take care of everything. And why it's great uh, from a booking standpoint is bureaus, if they know that you take gigs yourself as an individual and you cut out the bureau and all other things being equal, money, content, popularity, everything else, who are they going to give the gig to? Somebody who potentially is going to take three leads out of that audience themselves or somebody that's going to give it to the bureau regardless. They're gonna want to promote exclusive speakers. And so for me, just the, the layers of like this, the simplicity and just all of that, it was just so much easier to go, look, well, I'm only dealing with one person at the bureau, you deal with it all, and it makes my life so much easier. You win, I win. It's an amazing arrangement. Yeah, that makes total sense. And again, we, episode 24, we interviewed the president of Premier Speakers Bureau, Major Bureau, and, and just talked through bureaus and how they work. But also just to kind of clarify here, to point out that, you know, whenever you decided to go exclusive with a bureau, you'd been working with the bureau for a while. You had been doing a lot of speaking on your own. I don't want people to get uh, disillusioned in thinking that, oh, I'm just getting started, so I'll just go be exclusive with a bureau, and yeah. uh, they'll just magically start booking me. It does not work like that at all. And so if you're not booking your own stuff, and you're not already out there making stuff happen, there's no way a bureau is going to be interested in you. So you were able to make this transition into becoming exclusive with a bureau. They continue to provide you bookings, but that's because you'd been doing it for a while on your own, had built up a strong track record. And even as they said to you, like, we keep losing business to you. And so when you get to that point, then bureaus are going to be interested in you. But you know, until then, you have to learn how to uh, kind of beat the pavement yourself. Yeah, people ask me all the time, hey, how do I get in with a bureau? And I mean, I don't, the only response I can give is be so amazing that they want to work with you. Yeah. Yep. I mean, you know, you can, you can forward stuff to them and everything, but people want to have that introduction to the bureau so early, like way too early. And I always say like, you only get one meeting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you want to be that first meeting. You want it to be an amazing meeting. So you make sure that you've got a lot of experience under your belt. You've got a kick-ass speech. You've got an amazing video so that when they do meet you, they're impressed with what you already have, not what the promise of what you will have. Totally. Exactly. All right. Let's, uh, let's transition here and talk a little bit about comedy. So you came up in the comedy world. You were doing, you were doing the, the traditional club scene and then you were doing more corporate stuff. Uh, did you always just like, did you always feel like you were just naturally funny? Did you just kind of stumble in? Uh, like how has humor kind of evolved for you? Yeah, that's really funny. I had a uh, a reunion of my wrestling team, my high school wrestling team. Love to see a picture of that. (laughs) Ron tight in a singlet will be in your nightmares now. (laughs) And my coach said, who would have thought that you'd become a comedian? 
I don't think anybody really saw it. In the, it's not like I was the jokester. I wasn't the kid that was failing out of school and I only had to do comedy. But it was something that I always – I loved the craft of stand-up. I loved looking at the – method. like what was the method to this madness? There had to be some things there. And so I always kind of – even as a young kid, I just loved studying it and, and seeing different comedians and the different perspectives they brought. I thought it was amazing. And – when I a good friend of mine was in a sketch troupe in Toronto and said hey we got this guy he's gonna host our show and he's amazing and I went oh I gotta go check out this guy and I went and and saw this host and I thought but I could do that right, right. but this is not rocket science and so I went and started taking improv at uh, Second City and I think I think improv is the piano of comedy. You know, I think everybody has to have that as their base, regardless of what form of comedy you go to. Improv is where you should start. And um, and so I just started doing stuff at Second City, and then realized like, well, I'm not really a great improviser, and I I really really want to do stand up. And so I I did it. It was a really ballsy move because there are two ways that you can get into comedy. Really, one is you can go to an amateur night and do your five minutes, you know? And uh, the second way is you can find a producer who's producing a live show and say, hey, and convince them to put you on and do your five minutes. And I went to an amateur night just to check it out. I didn't want to do it, but I was like, I'm just going to survey the scene. And it was a horrible environment. (laughs) I mean, it was just guys getting up from, you know, because they were drunk, other people because they lost a bed and, I'm like, ah, I'm way better than these folks already. I know that. Right. I'm not I'm not hanging out here. And then I was like, why well, don't I know any really producers of live shows? And I thought, why don't I just like how tough can it be to produce? So why don't I just produce my own show and make myself the headliner? <laughs> and that's what I did. So my very first comedy show of all time, I did forty five minutes as a headliner. Oh my word, dude, that's brutal. <laughs> and it was amazing. Just to be able to you know, the comedians out there will know you You very rarely create and perform 45 minutes of new material. Right, right, right. Uh, it just doesn't happen. So to do a night of new material for the very first time and to a sold-out house, because obviously friends and family want to come and we raise money for charity and stuff. And then, boom, then it's like, oh, you're a comedian. When When's your next show? <laughs> You saw everything that I have. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's like, oh, I don't, I just have that uh, 45, which is still a ton, right? Because there are still comedians out there who have the same seven minutes they did 10 years ago. Yep, yep. That's crazy. All right, so you, you do that very first like 45 minute set. It goes really well. It sounds like, you know, again, fast forwarding in the story there. So it took you a couple years and then maybe you, you were doing the corporate stuff and then I have since added that into your speech. And so uh, how do even today, like how does the, the bureau or how do you represent yourself in that? Are you like a comedian with a point or a comedian with a message? Or you said even maybe not even positioning yourself as a comedian, but just a speaker who's funny? Or how do you kind of position yourself as a funny speaker? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that you want to position yourself. It's, you know, I think maybe in the description or something it says funny and engaging or, you know, whatever. Right. But I don't know that there's a label out there that you want to go, he's a funny speaker. 
unless you want to kind of get into motivational entertainment kind of stuff where people are specifically looking for somebody funny. Right. But I think if you really want uh, the f- a future as a speaker, it has to be on relevant and engaging content that that changes people's lives in a business environment. And so I'm a speaker and I speak on a number of topics and the expression economy and innovation and creativity. And it's not about being funny. It's about being effective. It's about using the funny to get people to listen to the message that you actually want to deliver. And so I don't want to ever bill myself as funny. I think it's a nice surprise. I think it's it makes the speech way better. I think my, my ratings as a speaker go up because I'm funny. But I don't ever want to go get him because he's really funny. Because if I'm a VP and I'm booking speakers, this isn't a comedy show. This is about business. i got to drive sales. I don't need funny. Have I need you, effect. Have, have you found, a, as a speaker, though, part of the challenge is finding that right balance? Because there, there's nothing more thrilling to a speaker to tell a joke and it lands and you just you know that you have them. Or you're building up to a punchline and you know you're just like, uh, they just they are just with you the entire way. Do you ever do you do you have a difficult time finding that balance between humor and content, or are you ever guilty of telling a joke just for the sake of telling a joke and getting a reaction? Or <laughs> yeah, yes. what's, like how how do you find that balance? Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, sure. Sometimes I know it's an easy laugh, and I'll go for it because it feels good. Totally. But I think as you develop more as, or at least I'd find it, and when I just started developing more as a speaker, I got way way more satisfaction out of the silence that followed the laugh. Yeah. Because you've got them, you know, the laugh is an indication that you've got them where you want them, right? You got them in the palm of your hand. But it's where you take them from there. That to me is so powerful when you can go from uproarious laughter to silence. Mm-hmm. And that is real power. And I don't mean that in the Machiavellian way. I mean, it's to, to really have a room with you on a journey when you can take them to complete silence, that's really powerful. And you just got to balance how much of the time you spend on. You can spend, you know, a, a one third on the funny and two thirds on the on the strategy, or vice versa. As long as the important point is coming out, that is that they're going to learn and they're going to nod and they're going to be silent and they're going to think. So how do you balance it? I think you've got to balance it with the end goal of what are the things you want to get across. And as long as the five points you want them to take away are being taken away, then whatever. Do what you got to do. Yeah. How has that evolved for you over time? Did you ever find that you were skewed one direction or the other? Because I find for me it's more of an evolving process that it's hard to come right out and know exactly what that right balance is. Plus, at the same time, you've every audience is different. Every environment is different. Every context is different. It's different in the morning versus the evening. It's different when you're the opener versus the closer. You have all these different nuances there. So how much of that are you adjusting on the fly or at least going into a presentation versus knowing that this is what I'm going to do and I know that this works and regardless of the, of the context, this is what it's going to be? Yeah, I mean, you know, like a comedian, and speakers got a gold material, right? There's stuff that you just know you've done it a million times, and the reason it's so fantastic is because you've done it a million times or a hundred, whatever. But there's, I certainly, I don't have a script. I've never written out a speech word for word ever. And I, the reason I do that is because it allows me the flexibility of going like, hmm, I'm going to go off in a different direction here for a second and try something out. It can either be comedically or that can be uh, from a content perspective. 
what's really fun though is sometimes you know when you said that balance sometimes I'll be presented with something and I think the comedian in me goes dude you can't ignore this <laughs> you, know, like, you gotta spend seven minutes on this and it's gonna eat into your content time but whatever this is low hanging <laughs> fruit right? right like I remember last year I went to I was doing a keynote and a lot of times I'll follow the hashtag for an event get some insight about the speakers or the content that has preceded me so that I can have customized humor based on stuff that this entire room has gone through. Right. And one of the tweets was that a guy in the room, he was a manager of a sports store. It was a bunch of whole managers from a sports store. And his wife delivered their first child. She went into labor. So he drove home from the conference two hours north to see and witness the birth of his first child and then turned around and drove back <laughs> two hours to attend the conference on the second day. And I saw this and I thought, who is this guy? And I thought, I got to meet this guy. And what a better way to go to start off a speech by going, okay, first of all, where the hell is Gary? I did Gary and going to his table and we're talking, you know, 800 people in a room, you know, it's big. And, you know, with iMag and everything like, and it just, and the comedian me had to deal with that. And I probably spent 10 minutes making fun of this guy in a really fun, positive. So, you know how, what was so great about that is that was a year ago, two weeks ago. So on the one year anniversary of that conference, that guy tweeted me a picture of his now one-year-old son. It was amazing. Well, I think part of what's great about that is a lot of that are in the audience that attend conferences, they know that oftentimes when you get up there, you're doing, for the most part, you know, and I don't mean this in a, in a negative way, but you're doing your shtick. You're doing the thing that you yep. would normally do. But with something like that, they know like, oh, this is just for us. And it's one of those like you had to be there for it to be funny. But it, it just feel like I personally, I, I think you're the same way. Like you love when those moments happen because they're so raw. They're so real. They're f And some of the best humor, some of the best comedy can come from those moments because it's not scripted. It's off the cuff. You're using that improv and it's something that's happening right there in that, in, you know, in that exact moment. I remember a couple years ago, I spoke at a gig in, in Washington, D.C. And it was during the time where the... Um, it was like the G8 or G20 summit. And so all these like world leaders are there. And the hotel where, where the conference happened to be at was the same hotel where the president of China was staying. And so there was just security everywhere. It was crazy. And it was, so it was everyone was extremely well aware of this. Every The whole hotel was already on edge. And so I opened my talk and with the top 10 things you should not do when sharing a hotel with the president of China. <laughs> and it went great. It was so fun. But it's one of those things like you use that one time, but in that yeah. moment... It's great because of that shared of that shared context. Yeah, what comedians really want, as a, what you want people to think is, you know, people think in bits, right? The comedians yeah. have bits, and you don't want people to say, "I thought that bit was funny." Mm -hmm. You want them to say, "I thought you were funny." You want them to walk away thinking that you, as a person, are really, really funny. And one of the ways to accomplish that is, yes, gold material that you've done time and time again and you've worked out all the kinks in it. But more importantly, they find that you're funny when they see you doing something that there is no possible way that you could have ever pre-written it right. and that you are delivering it for the first time and the only time ever. And it also contributes to them thinking, this is how committed this person is to this gig. That they're not just calling it in. They're not just doing what they always do because they know it works. They've, they're actually thinking about it and they are 100% 
in the moment with us right now. They're not thinking about the flight they got to catch and the gig they got tomorrow and everything else. They're 100% with us and we're that important to the speaker. So I think it, you know, with those two things are really, really important and improvising comedy and reacting to things are, is the best way to do that. You know, there's a rule in comedy called never ignore the reality. Mm. And there are things that happen and you just gotta look for those <clears throat> things that are just kind of off kilter a little bit. Something is just not the way you would normally expect it to go. There's something that happens in the room. The power goes off. There's a, a speaker fumbles with something. There's a mistake. You know, something out of the ordinary happens and you've got to deliver on that because everybody saw it. Everybody heard it. That is your biggest opportunity. Uh, George Carlin said, my job as a comedian is to just remind you of the things you forgot to laugh at the first time. Yep, yep. So you just playing that back to people, the thing they just experienced is, you know, that's the power of, of comedy in the moment. I think some speakers, they view comedy as kind of this all or nothing thing. Like I, I have to be hilarious or I feel like I'm not funny at all. So for someone who feels like, okay, I'm, you know, that's great that you guys like comedy and you watch comedians and you geek out on that stuff and you enjoy using humor. I just don't feel like I'm funny. So uh, how can someone who feels like they're not funny begin to add in you don't have to be hilarious through the whole thing. Just a few one-liners or a few like little stories or even images you use really well. What are some different ways that we can incorporate humor into our talks without the need to be feel like we're, we have to be a comedian? Yeah, I mean that's a great point. That you don't you don't have to be hilarious. You don't have to be Louis C.K. I mean, look how low the bar is. <laughs> if you're following the vice president of sales for a pharma company and he's doing Q4 projections, trust me, that's where the bar is. <laughs> so you can do better than that. So how do you do it? Well, there's a, there's a number of different ways. I mean, one, you gotta, you gotta know your own voice, right? So trying to be funny in a way that's not consistent with your personality is a massive fail. Yeah. People smell that coming a mile away. Secondly, I think you just gotta, um, you know, you have to, a lot of us are trained because of marketers or sales or whatever, to have insights. You know, a lot of our thinking is driven by insight. And so it's great comedy. You know, you've already got that. It's just where do you take it from a comedic perspective? So what is the insight and what's kind of funny about that insight? And, you know, you can use to kind of tap into that. You can create like Robin Williams. You know, I used to say that Robin Williams had a thing called go there. I don't know that anybody else to use that term. But he'd say, oh, the, the Scottish people are horrible golfers. And then he would slip into this character of a Scottish person golfing. And he just would go there. Right. You know, like, and you could say, man, the air conditioning sucks. Well, go there. What happens when the air conditioning sucks? Like, what is, what is really funny about that? So that's kind of one way of, of exploring comedy. A second way is just stories. Like, what are stories that whatever the point you're trying to deliver, what story can preface that insight? And it's either a story that's happened out in the world or it's a story that's happened to you. I think I, I did this when you and I were together at uh, Heroic Public Speaking Live, where I said to people, you know, tell the person beside you about how you met your spouse right, or your right, best right. friend. Yep. And, you know, because normal people go like, oh, I'm not a good storyteller. I, you know, there's this guy in the office, you know, he's a hoot, but I'm not good at stories. How'd you meet your wife? And they go, it was a Tuesday. <laughs> the rain was coming down. This story, 
we are amazing storytellers. We've been raised from the time that we were in a crib, we heard stories. We know once upon a time, and they lived happily ever after. We know that structure. And we're, we are all great storytellers. We just have to find the stories that, we're, that are as personal and that we're as passionate about as the ones like when we met our husband or wife or best friend. And within those stories, then you just kind of have to go on little tangents. So as you're telling the logical progression of the story, you can go on little tangents and make, like what is interesting about that and what's kind of something humorous about that? What strikes you as odd about that? What about the character who was the person that was doing that? Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways. I think the most important thing though is to realize that it doesn't just happen. Right. Great comedians don't sit down and then go, all right, I got an hour special. I guess it's going to take me an hour to write this. Are you kidding me? You got to sit down, you got to roll up the sleeves and go, that's funny, and that's not funny, and that's not funny, and keep working it. I think people just give up because they assume they're not funny. They're two minutes in and they go, I haven't got the funny yet. I guess I'm not funny. Like, are you kidding me? Jerry Seinfeld doesn't find the funny in two minutes. Well, you have I to think, continually work at it. Well, I think one of the things you're saying there is, is whenever you are whenever you're crafting and creating a story or a joke or a bit or a chunk or whatever of material you're working on there, it's really all kind of an educated guess until you get in front of an audience. Like you could think, okay, I think this is funny. And I told my buddy and he thinks it's funny, but how it is delivered and the, the context in which it's delivered, uh, can really make a huge difference. And so even kind of like you're saying, it's never one of those things that it's just like, I, I write it, I deliver it case closed it's done yeah. it's i get up i deliver okay that kind of worked or let's try this different punchline or let's do it in this different order or uh, i'm sure you're the same way but some of my best material has come just live on the spot on the moment and just in the moment you just throw in some little bit there and you're like oh that killed i got to remember to use that next time and some of that is just it's this always constant evolving process rather than just like okay i wrote joke joke done I win yeah. uh, jokes. It's like no, it's all you're always working. You're always critiquing it. Yeah, you're you're um, you're you're bang on with that. That you know the line I like to tell people is pan for silver, work for gold. Mm -hmm. So you can start it with a and something where you go like ah, I think that's kind of funny, and then you share it. And it doesn't have to be brilliantly funny. You just got to continue to work at it, and you work to get it to the gold. And the only way to do that is to deliver it yep. in front of people over and over and over again. Excuse me. And eventually, you will get the beats, you will get the accents, you will get all the intricate details to make that bit perfect. And what's so amazing as a speaker and as a comedian is to have a gold bit that you've had for a year or two years, whatever, that you've delivered, you know, 60, 70 times. And on the 61st time, you discover something entirely new yep, yep. a whole other thing a whole other layer to this joke that you you never thought you had ever had you thought it was done it's never done there's always more there's always stuff there you just got to get on your feet and deliver it in front of people what, what do you do uh, since it's always a work in progress what do you do when a joke doesn't work like how do you handle that do you you see some people try to explain, well, here's why it's funny. And you guys didn't laugh, but let me explain it. Do you go into yeah. that route? Do you just acknowledge I, the elephant I in the room? I up in a ball. Yeah, because it's, and sometimes it could just be brutal because it is an educated guess. And so there's times meaning that you try it and it doesn't work. So how do you handle that? How do you kind of uh, bounce back from that? 
I, I try and be as transparent about it. I mean, the, the comedians that people don't like are the ones that blame the audience. Yeah. Right? Like, well, I'm clearly brilliant. You people are morons <laughs> if you don't get this obscure reference from 1973. Right. And what I'll do is if it falls flat, I'll just – I'll say something like, huh, fascinating. I thought that was funny. Right. You do not. That's interesting. Okay. And I'll move on. I think you have to acknowledge the fact that you clearly were in that mode of telling a joke or that you thought was funny. You know, that that facial expression where you're waiting for the laughter and no laughter comes. Right, right. You know, all you hear is somebody in the back of the room just kind of go, <coughs> <laughs> it's just horrible. So I think you just have to be transparent about it. Go like, ah, all right, well, I thought that was funny, and I, I guess you're done. That's cool. Uh, let's move on. Yeah, and I think, that's, I think that's a great way of handling it, of just kind of that self-deprecating of just like, oh, mental note, don't tell that joke again. And just some, some little thing there just to acknowledge like, hey, I tried to be funny. It didn't work. We all realize it. Move on. It's not that big of a deal. And oftentimes, and this could go in a totally different direction, but the, oftentimes the audience takes their cues from you, the speaker. And so if you get uptight and uncomfortable, it makes them uptight and comfortable. But if you acknowledge like, yeah, that wasn't that funny anyway, you just move on. Then it's not a big deal to, to them either. Yeah, I think over time you also find out that there are certain, like it, when it's a room of people from within the same organization, that organizational culture, maybe the people are afraid to laugh, right? right. Especially if there's something that's a little bit edgy. They're like, oh, my boss is right beside me. I can't laugh. Or if it's people, that if it's a, a, you know, an association where people from a bunch of different organizations, they don't know each other, sometimes they're a little bit nervous where they don't, they want to laugh there either. And so you got to kind of know that going in. The one thing I will say, the danger is, is you don't want to explain the joke. If they don't get it, they don't get it. You know, I remember this is, it would be this, I won't say the joke, but it would be incredibly inappropriate for a corporate audience. But it was a joke that I had that, that I used a couple of times in a comedy club. And it was just a reference, right? And I, and the joke, and the, the, the reference was Stephen Hawking. And, and I told this and the room didn't laugh. And so I started to go down the road of like, oh, you don't know who Stephen Hawking is. Well, he's this guy who's got ALS. And then now I'm just a jerk. Right. I'm, I'm highlighting the fact that the joke is offensive and a jerk for using it. If they don't get the reference, then they're just going to think you're pretentious if you try and explain it down to them. Then just move, just move on. Yep. All right, let's wrap up with this. I know that any speaker who's been out this for a little while has had those moments where you are just on top of the world, standing ovation, everything is is going well, the wind is at your back, but then you also have those moments where the joke's bomb, the audience just isn't with you, nothing is working, nothing is clicking. So, Ron, to wrap up, tell us about a time where it couldn't be worse than this. You got any of those horror stories as a speaker? Yeah, there's one that it was a kind of a comedy thing where I had been booked for a good friend of mine is a guy named James Cunningham, who was the host of the show Eat Street. Great guy and a great show. And somebody wanted him to perform, and, and he couldn't do it. He said, hey, do you want to do this thing? And it's a finance gig. And I said, yeah, okay, sure. It turns out it was not a finance gig. It was a 60th birthday party for a dude who worked in finance. <laughs> and That's close I, enough. You know, and the room was like, you know, family ranging in age from nine months old to 90 years old. It was uh, colleagues from uh, like an investment bank. And it was actual working farmers who were from the town that he was raised in. 
So this like ridiculously diverse group of people for a 60th birthday party. And when I saw the name of where the thing was, I thought, oh, this is at a restaurant, even worse. Because you can't do stuff, it's really difficult at a restaurant, which is why as a speaker, you should never speak over lunch. Wait till the dishes are clear. It's horrible because you're trying to, you know, say something and all you hear is clank, 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 and you who wants coffee, you know, horrible. So I was thinking, oh, it's in a restaurant, so I'm not gonna write material, I'm just gonna spritz. And I'm just gonna go through the audience and go, how do you know John, how do you know John? And, And kind of make up stuff on the spot because I couldn't compete with the wait staff. And because the only thing this entire room had in common was the guy. So let's just make him the focus of the humor. And I didn't know because they hired me to come in. So I show up. It is not at a restaurant. It is 400 people in a wedding banquet hall with a stage that is probably 10 feet off the ground. (laughs) You cannot spritz in that environment. So – And all of this is really relevant to the speaking world because it says everything about horrible preparation on my part. So now I'm at the back of the room. I've got nothing. And I'm supposed to do 40 minutes. And I have nothing because I have planned to spritz in a room of 400 people. And so I'm nervously at the back repackaging bits that how can I make this appropriate for this guy? You know, kind of going through this. And there's a guy who's introducing me. And he's one of the sons. And he starts by saying, as many of you know, I had a difficult year. And I could hear the whole room go, oh, no, he's not going to. Oh, yes. Yes, he was. He aired his entire dirty laundry about a failed marriage, about his business going bankrupt, you know, all this stuff. And, And he ended by saying, you know, when I talked to my mom today about speaking today she said well don't get a haircut because it shows off your bald spot and makes your face look fat (laughs) so dad for always looking on the bright side even when there wasn't one happy birthday and now we have a comedian for you (laughs) and the only sound you could hear as I approached the stage from the back of the room was my shoes on the linoleum floor and it was horrible. <laughs> the room was in such a state of shock. I had nothing and I just, I thought I gotta just put my head down and I did 20 minutes instead of 40 and I was like, good night! <laughs> <Close enough. laughs> and walked off the stage, got in my car and thought, why do I do this? Right. Like who would put themselves through that Experience. So for speakers out there, I mean, it's that experience really points to the, the fact that you have to have completely thorough preparation. You got to know the room. You got to know the audience. You got to know the touch points. You got to know the headspace of the people. Who's introducing you? What are they going to say? And you got to put as many of those variables in your favor. Yep. And, you know, divas demand things that are kind of ridiculous. Pros demand things that set them up for success. Good line. Drop the mic on that. Very true. Yeah, just stacking the deck in your favor makes uh, makes all the difference. There's a lot of things that as speakers in the environment and setting that you cannot control, but still always our responsibility to do whatever we can with the environment and the situation that we're, we're put in and given. So great stuff. Ron, if people want to find out more about you, what you're up to, where, where can we go online? Uh, you can go to uh, rontite.com, Twitter at rontite, Facebook slash rontite, LinkedIn rontite, or thetightgroup.com. Beautiful. We will link up to that. That's tight, T-I-T-E. 
So uh, we'll link up to all of those in the uh, in the show notes there. So, Ron, thanks for the time, buddy. Appreciate the chat. Greg, so much. It was so much fun. Thanks for having me. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ron Tite. I told you, he's a funny dude and a smart dude and a really good dude. So uh, lots of dude comments there. Hope you enjoyed that. Hey, again, if you haven't already, be sure and subscribe to the podcast. We don't want you to miss out on an upcoming episode that we, uh, any episode that we do. Again, during the month of April, we are doing an episode every single day. So I don't want you to miss out on these. Make sure that you subscribe to the show. Also, if you haven't already, leave us a, a rating and review with an iTunes or Stitcher. We'd love to hear from you. Love to connect with you there. Helps other people find out about the show as well. So we really appreciate that. Hey, finally, one last reminder. Uh, again, just about every single week, we are doing one, sometimes multiple, free live online webinars where we are teaching all about how to get started as a speaker, how to find and book engagements, how much to charge, uh, all of that. We are pulling back the curtain. Again, totally free, totally online. So you don't have to travel. You can stay home in your jammy jams and uh, join us for one of those upcoming live workshops. Also do a lot of live free Q&A as well. So if you've got a question you want me to answer, then uh, definitely you want to check that out. You can go to freespeakerworkshop.com. Again, that is freespeakerworkshop.com and register for the next online webinar that we will be doing. Again, freespeakerworkshop.com. All right, that wraps up episode 45. We will uh, see you tomorrow where we're going to be talking all about how to find a speaking agent and do you need one? This is a question I get a lot. So uh, excited to share my thoughts on that. So we'll see you tomorrow for that. You're awesome. Awesome.